0: Well, thank you so much for being here. It's so exciting to hear what Sharon's doing, and congratulations on being able to afford a suit, and it's just really, really exciting. You know what's interesting is I'm seeing is like Sharon and Jesse and probably to some extent Maria have grown up in this new media environment that's kind of chaotic and the Wild West and so forth. And I'm a little bit younger than than Robert, than Bob Shear, but... I'm kind of in between, so I'll confess. I'm 56, born in 55. And so I grew up just as this cataclysmic change in media was happening. So I started out very traditional. Went to journalism school at American University, got my masters. My first job was a you know doing all the grunt work at WBL TV in Baltimore in 1980, 81 when everything was very traditional. No such thing as what the heck is a podcast and so forth. And then as so I started very traditional and broadcast have been in broadcast, but suddenly like right around you know, the 90s, and when things changed. So I've straddled both worlds, and I've had to make the transition somewhat awkwardly to tweeting and Facebook and all this kind of stuff. And I remember the very first meeting at KCT when uh, one of our, our managers was there, and he said, you know, we have to probably maybe get... Uh, you know web page and we all what is a web page what is like it was like right around 19 early 90s what's a web page oh, who's going to go to that so i have been somewhat resistant and the way i approach technology is that i um i it's very much a part of my job it's you know i have like uh, i think almost yeah, I'm almost to 1,000 people on Facebook. That is clearly not a personal Facebook page for me. That is a professional Facebook page, and all my friendsters, I'm sure I would uh, never recognize them on the street. because there's. And then tweeting, same thing. I learned it because of my job. So I am not a natural, I'm not one of these early adapters. I, they can go ahead and figure it out, and then I'll learn after them. I'm totally fine with that. So I have had to straddle these two worlds, but it also is, is very exciting. But it's kind of messy, it's kind of like you. I first started that, should I have a blog? Should I have, should I put video on my blog? Should it be picture, you know, how we always kind of, we cast around for what we're about. And after a few years of this, and for a while, uh, whenever I saw something funky, I would take a picture of it and put it up on the website, and and that kind of you know you don't have the energy for that after a while. You know how it is. We've all sort of gone through these phases, and so I've pretty much settled on, tweeting, and Facebook. And I don't do a blog. It's just too much work, and I have so much to do as it is. But I keep up. I try to be consistent about posting what's coming up on the show. And so I'll let people know, for example, what's coming up. And, um, and I think it really helps to put a link. If you didn't see the show, watch it here. So um, this week, for example, this um, uh, story debuted on broadcast, um, Friday last night, it's about the sweet deal that Shev- that sweet tax deal that Chevron Oil seems to have with the small town of El Segundo, and instead of paying millions and millions of dollars, the city of El Segundo cut a backroom deal about gee almost 20 years ago to give them relief, and so now they pay maybe in the hundreds of thousands instead of the millions. And I don't know what's going on there. It's just a sort of, you know, kiss Chevron's ring. You, you know, the, you're the big man in town, and we're not going to upset you. We're not sure, but um, other oil companies in similar towns pay much, much more. The LA Times got this story almost simultaneous to the one we did so the headlines yesterday in the paper were similar to our story i think that's actually great i think when people spot a story in the news and then they see we've done it 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 height it boosts the the prestige and the importance of the story but for this first time also we did have the piece ready so we actually put it on the web on thursday before it was broadcast on Friday. That's a big deal for us. We have kind of a traditional executive direct, executive producer who likes things to go on television first because that's how he grew up. But those days are somewhat over. So I think by the time it actually was broadcast in the traditional cable or over the airway, we had, I think, about 300 people had watched it already on the web. So things are changing, and I'm still, you know, kind of... Uh, feeling my way around, but I think I've pretty much settled into this new media environment. But I know I'm no way am I a pioneer like uh, like Jesse is. I would, however, I'm gonna take just a couple minutes. I know there's all sorts of cheerleading about how incredible social media is and tweeting and Facebook and it's revolutionizing everything. Absolutely true. And, but I'm going to bring a little bit of a reality check. I hope it's, it's not throwing cold water. I think it's important to be clear-eyed and not naive about the limits to these things because you cannot plan your projects or anything or go forward without clear eyes. Number one, so I'm going to kind of demystify, whatever, there's some myths out there that need some holes being punched in. One is independent nonprofit news sites they were to be the savior of declining newspapers. Citizen journalism was gonna be the savior to fill in all this lack of local coverage. Somewhat true, however, bear in mind that out of 1,200 community news sites, this is followed by JLab, half are now inactive. And many of them are not because they didn't have a good business plan, but simply because the the single person or two people behind them had a change in life, had a kid, moved, whatever. So, those are very individual sites that depend very much on one person. Something happens to that one person, and the site goes down. So, 1,200 community news sites, citizen journalism, are now dead. The nonprofit sites ProPublica is very prestigious, and they have good funding. But there were a lot of other attempts. Even Voice of San Diego is having serious financial problems. They were held up as the model. There was the Chicago News Collaborative that was supposed to get its money from the New York Times. It recently went down. And there was a Bay Area Citizen, which started but didn't work. So now they're gonna have to, they're I think they're kind of partnering, I believe, if I'm getting them all my names right. But a lot of these nonprofit news sites are having trouble. And we kind of knew that you know was they were there would be a shakeout and that shakeouts happening then there is you have to remember that a lot of these sites are collaborative collaborations are fantastic collaborations are fantastic but they also take a lot of work and when you have two sites deciding to collaborate with each other what's happening you're getting less original content because you're really having a merger and so oh and also you know i have to say there's a lot of sites out there that are basically curatorial or or republishing it may look like there's more news out there but there's not more feet on the ground there's not more boots on the ground and those boots on the ground to a large extent are still at places like the la times or places that have reporters sitting in those boring city council meetings for hours to give you a five-minute version of what really happened and so retweeting and curating and all this kind of stuff is great but it's not the same as original reporting and the citizen journalism model May, I think some of the promises kind of fading on that. Then there is the myth of um, kind of, um, what would you call it, independence on the part of the viewers. You know, this idea of, I mean, believe me, I'm the first person who wanted to call my cable company, Time Warner, don't need you anymore, bye. I'm so tired of paying the high bill. I want to be independent too and watch everything, you know, on the internet, hooked into my TV and, and over the air digital, et cetera, et cetera. So, and because I'm tired of paying the bill, and my boyfriend he like, always subscribes to all these tears, and I'm like, oh, do we really need all this? Because you can't do without a Turner movie, classics movies, and HBO, and all this stuff. So I said, look, let's see what we get over the air, and then we'll go do this cool thing with the laptop, and we can call Time Warner and, and you know, cut down our bill. So I'd go to Target and i buy this little antenna that you're supposed to be able to, you know, just hook in and get all the stuff digitally. That would cover the local stations plus because they all multicast now. And then we would just, you know, figure out the, the, lap, the Netflix thing um, playing on our TV. Guess what? $21, thank God I kept the receipt for the antenna. Come back, plug it in, zero signal, zero signal. We're stuck. We have to get cable. And that was true, of my friend in Pasadena. I said, "You can't get anything over there. We're at Eagle Rock. We're like high up in the hills. We ought to be able to get something from Mount Wilson. No, zero signal." So all this free TV, in many ways, for many people, is no longer free. The free airwaves that existed for years, when when we were analog, and we switched to digital. Once we switched to digital, many free TV is is not an option. There was no such thing. So we're kind of stuck with uh, Time Warner. But I'm still going to, you know, try to get around it somehow. So cutting the cord and and releasing yourself from big, powerful mainstream media is harder than you think. And and now people say, oh, but the new generations, they're going to watch mobile, and they won't need cable. By the way, I should mention, there have been five million fewer cable viewers uh, recently over the last few years, it's about a 5% drop. You think, oh, that's because people are, are leaving cable and they're, you know, co- they're saying goodbye to the cable company. No, you know what the main reason is? The housing crisis. The main reason the housing crisis. People are moving out, moving back home. They don't need cable anymore. They can't afford it. But then they, so then they say, well, Netflix. Netflix will you know, give all this competition to cable and so forth. No. Here's the weak part of Netflix. Netflix doesn't own the content. Netflix has to get a license from every content creator that it gets before it can put its stuff on Netflix. And if you're the buyer and all these studios and TV production places don't want to sell to you because they want to put it on their own streaming site, guess what? You're spurned. So Netflix has, Netflix owns extremely, almost nothing of its own. It's always, it depends on licenses from the studios and movies and TV shows. I think it owns like one, it's going to watch, your watch. Netflix is going to start producing its own original stuff because it's only when you own your original stuff, like Jesse, that you have true power. So Netflix is not going to be the big challenger to the big cable companies that some people may think. Same thing with the tablets. Well, people say, watching on mobile and watching on your iPads and so forth will will challenge or will destroy cable. No. Nope. No. Nope. Hulu, which everyone thinks is really cool, owned by Comcast, News Corp. And they own the they own the content. And unlike I think the music industry, the television and movie studios are getting ahead of the game. They are jumping into the mobile viewing world and providing ways to for you to watch it first. So they're not going to be caught like Napster. So they are actually getting ahead of the game. H, uh, HBO Go has figured it out. Anybody who is a subscriber to HBO, if you register with HBO Go and there's a little authentication mode where you put your, um, your uh, cable account number or something, so they confirm that you are a paid subscriber to HBO, then you can get into HBO Go which is basically a big website, and watch anything you want. Don't need Netflix, don't need Hulu. So all these companies are really getting, they're smart, they've learned, and they're getting ahead of the game. And um, so if we, you know, we'd like to think that we're sort of democratizing big media and so forth, but a uh, a lot of stuff that's happening in the future will still be tied to these big media companies. That's not necessarily bad, as long as we consumers, you know, demand even you know fair price. I don't believe in getting things for free. I just, you know, want a reasonable price and not being uh, held over the barrel. Those are just some thoughts. There's more I could say, but I'll I'll stop now. So, just brought a little bit of a reality check to the the world. And then that's not even news. I kind of got into entertainment there, but I'm happy to answer all sorts of questions about news or anything else it may have.